Hello, thank you for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Rebecca Vukovic. My guest for this episode in our Behaviour Management podcast series is Dr David Armstrong, a researcher from the School of Education at Flinders University. We're here to talk about his recent paper, Addressing the Wicked Problem of Behaviour in Schools, which explores how certain behaviour management models are simply ineffective, particularly for students with learning or mental health difficulties. The model he focuses on in particular is the Manage and Discipline model, which Armstrong claims is based on several core assumptions about children. I start off by asking him to outline what these assumptions are. It's that we can, uh, behaviour is a phenomena, children's behaviour, that we can quantify and control. And that we can reduce kids' behaviour to variables which we can manage and manipulate. And given the right skills and training, that teachers can uh, complete technical control over children's behaviour in the classroom. It's simply a matter of kind of applying these skills and, and its knowledge. Um, and that kids who don't, it, for the, which just doesn't work, for kids who don't fit in or have disabilities or whatever, whose behaviour we decide is unmanageable, they are moved out of the classroom. So there's exclusion kind of built into the manage, manage and discipline model. Uh, behaviour. Yeah, and so for students with disabilities affecting their behavioural development mm. or those who have mental health difficulties, how does the manage and discipline model affect their learning in the classroom? Well, often they're not in the classroom uh, precisely because of the application of the model. So what typically happens is we apply kind of, um, and this is obviously a stereotype, we apply a rigid kind of uh, set of parameters there about what isn't, isn't acceptable. And then um, the, that, those don't work in practice. Mm -hmm. So and then uh, behaviour escalates, and then the child is uh, ends up being out of the classroom, um, of course. And in the um, America, the US, uh, they had legislation they brought in 2004 exactly to deal with this issue, because they were having lots of children in America, in American schools, who were being excluded and who had disabilities. And that broke the law. So the contradiction there is, so what they did is they uh, encouraged schools and put in some cash there as well to, um, well, schools had to adopt evidence-based practice uh, practices before they excluded children. So they had to show and demonstrate that they'd used some evidence-based interventions and it hadn't merely, merely kind of responded by pushing kids out of the school. Um, and that was uh, the... IDEA, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act in 2004 that mandated that all US schools had to use evidence-based practices. Um, and they put, uh, after that period, there's been money put into uh, rolling those out through a program, $700 million of US money, US dollars that have been spent on OSEP programs to try and help make that happen in schools. Mm. Um, the other thing, Rebecca, is that if we think about, um, obviously, that's the end result, children being either um, suspended or excluded because the managing discipline model doesn't work for them and they are sort of moved out of the school or pushed out of the school in some cases uh, because their behaviour escalates. 
There are also, there's another population of kids who um, are simply demotivated by it. So um, if they need to, they need to not be met usually, and then this results in um, they're becoming more and more disengaged from education, and and they uh, they end up um, not learning really, not learning very well. We know for kids with disabilities um, who are much obviously disadvantaged to start with that these kind of uh, risks are there. Um, and inappropriately applied behavioural models, what I call the managing discipline model, can make things much worse for them and mean that it, it, it speeds up their process of being either suspended or excluded from school. Yeah. And given all of this, how do you suggest teachers respond to negative conduct in the classroom in an ethical but effective way? Okay. First of all, we need to avoid thinking about how we can manage children. Children are not cans of beans on a shelf or uh, the contents of our car or our finances. They are, uh, you know, a human being. So by thinking about managing a child, we are dehumanizing that child instantly. And also that's not helpful in terms of practical efforts to try and change their behaviors for the better that we want to do. Um, so that's the start. That needs to be the, the starting point. Forget managing children. Children are not physical objects, they're not an inventory in a stock room, they are, you know, complex human beings, like all of us. So, took that aside. And then we need to think about how we can adopt a, an authoritative but not authoritarian professional practice, um, which expects positive behaviours from all students, um, and, and as a default, expects those. So, so we are expecting positive behaviours rather than the opposite, where we're having to impose a system which deals with negative behaviours, we should the other way expect them. Um, and we need to work together with schools to have school-wide applications of these positive behavioural uh, policies and cultures, really. We also need to recognise as a teacher that we're the one there responsible for setting up this environment, the behavioural environment in our classroom. We can't disengage ourselves and project it onto kids and say, it's the kid's fault for X, Y, or Z reasons. Um, we also need to do things like we need to think about that kids' needs are being met. Motivation is often forgotten. Huge ingredient here in the kinds of behaviours that we see as problematic. So we need to think about, you know, are we setting levels of the right work that motivates children? And are we giving children space to follow things that they're interested in, obviously with their eye that we can then map them to the curriculum? So we can meet our learning objectives that we need to get out as well. But thinking about how we're motivating kids, crucial thing there. One of the first things I'd ask in, you know, in, in when we work, if I want to go into school and I'm supporting children with disabilities as a teacher is, are their needs being met? What evidence do we have to know that their needs being I mean, met? And how is this present in planning um, and what's been implemented in the planning of, uh, of content for that child? Mm. Um, one of the other things that comes across, Rebecca, as well in the research by Paul Cooper and others that have done uh, reviews of the evidence base in 2011, Paul Cooper did one, a really good one, and he looked at how the evidence, the sort of emerging evidence, that um, we need children or students to understand that we have a positive regard for them, an unconditional positive regard. If they comprehend that we actually like them in some way, this doesn't mean being their friend, uh, it simply means we, they know what, what, that we are there on their side, we're there to help them learn, we're there to support them, 
and we're there to uh, give them a part, a calm and positive environment to grow in. So we, they need to see that we're, we're the helpful adult. Um, we're not the other, we're not um, another person telling them what to do or whatever. And this is particularly important with kids who are disengaged. Um, so uh, and think about many disadvantaged students may never have had this at home. They may never have had an adult who, who shows that I am, I am with you, I am behind you, I am here for you. Um, they may not have had that. So if we offer that, that is instantly a positive basis for helping them change their behaviour and keeping good positive behaviours. Um, you know, so that's really important, our relationship with them as a other adult. Yeah. Um, and David, I do understand that you're a lecturer in teacher education. So yeah. I was wondering, is behaviour management, in particular for students with disabilities, something that the pre-service teachers are concerned about? They are, and it's often intuitively. And I can see, I yeah, they are, yeah. Um, and um, the research I've done, and, and lots of colleagues, even Australia and elsewhere, have done in this area, often describes behaviour management practices that they, they've seen in their own education when they were a student, mm -hmm. and that they will copy or use intuitively. Uh, now, some of these are very good, and some are not so good. And many of them are really not helpful um, for example, one big one that's that's used by many students is people think that behaviourist um, kind of approaches will work. So this is about giving kids incentives to make them comply, okay? And it can work. It can make children comply if we want to have disabled children complain all the time. Maybe we want to give them some space to be make their own choices as well. That's what I suggest. But it can work, but often it's misapplied. So, for example, the wrong incentives are used. So the, the incentives are used which can reinforce negative behaviours. So for example, a whole behavioural system is applied to all kids, irregardless of whether they have positive behaviour or the behaviour that needs improving. So one size fits all approach is it can be used by teachers. And some of my so what I, I try and do with, with teachers is get them to think through some of the pitfalls of these approaches and try and think more critically for themselves about what will work and to look at things like differentiation. So are they setting work at the right level for the child? Um, one of the really uh, quite effective tools that I, I teach um, not only graduates to use is to look at um, functional behaviour assessment, an FBA, which looks at um, what are the motivators for a child's behaviour in what we see. So is it revenge? Is it control or power? Is it escape? Some of these basic kind of motivators for children's behaviour. And once we have that working hypothesis about what might be generating the behaviour we observe, then we can start to measure it and, and form a hypothesis, a best guess about what we think you know, it is. And then we can start to plan what we do next about this. Um, and what, again, one of the things I talk to my undergraduates about is, is it's how important it is that they look after themselves that they work collegially with others because one of the things that comes out of research is that isolated teachers often are the ones who are quite vulnerable to either being ineffective as practitioners or um, becoming stressed and demotivated. So we need to avoid, you know, students. So I, I encourage my undergraduates to think critically about what they do and to think about how they can work with other teachers, um, work together to um, apply fair and effective behaviour. Um, models around behaviour. So, 
I think that's really important that teachers are not isolated. Teacher welfare is really important um, and often not given enough credence. As I say, it's part of that thing about we project behaviour onto kids and students, but we don't think about the teacher in the relationship there. Mm-hmm. And developmental psychology would say that that's the wrong approach, that's a wrong way. So we have kind of a predisposition to failure. This is the one where we think of a child and we see a child and, and we're expecting them to behave poorly. We're expecting them to have to apply sanctions and this behaviour model. So that's not good. That instantly is, it sets up a, a negative kind of reaction between us and them, interaction between us and them. Mm-hmm. The other one is the Humpty Dumpty approach, I describe it as, which is a belief that we can cure or, uh, children uh, who have uh, problematic behaviours and or disabilities, that we can normalise them and bring them back into the fold, that, you know, there's some... Now, that, obviously, you know, we can put the child back together again, even though it might be that the things that are generating the poor behaviours are within the home environment, as they often are. Um, so, and this is not going to work, and it's also not going to make the teacher feel demotivated, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. And the other one is a fear and uncertainty one, which is where teachers are just kind of, not paralysed, it's a wrong term, but just don't know what to do. Uh, and often, timely action isn't taken, so a child's behaviour gets more and more severe, and can even be a mental health issue, but action's not been taken. So to avoid some of these problems, when working with others, if we adopt, you know, we, we, we support each other, our colleagues, we can have that, we can avoid some of these issues um, by giving each other support, which reduces our fear and uncertainty, by sharing ideas to deal with its situations, by asking someone else for their view if they've observed the behaviour with a child behaving in a certain way, um, so working together um, and avoiding being isolated can mitigate some of these risks and these myths that, that you know, bad sort of uh, myths that are there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So finally, if teachers were to abandon the manage and discipline model entirely, what impact could this potentially have on their own welfare? Major, I'd say. And as I alluded to earlier, um, the, the, the managing discipline model sets up this unrealisable, um, perfect classroom quite often. Um, I, I mean, again, I'm addressing a myth here. This is the idealised myth. You might recognise, the teachers, the listener might recognise little bits of this in their own school, but not all of it. This is an example just for, for us to think about. Um, so one of the things we'd, um, we'd get is we'd have more, um, there'd be less stress for teachers there'd be a more realistic understanding of kids' behaviour. And we need to go to understand kids' behaviour rather than react to it, as in the managing discipline model is a reactive model. So we need to understand it, and then we can respond effectively. So, so it free, by throwing out the managing discipline model, it frees us up to do those things, um, to be more effective and to be more precise in what we do, but also that involves some ethical issues because if we're being more effective, that avoids uh, sanctions and then that escalation where the child ends up out of the classroom where, you know, the the kind of escalation that happens, argument gets worse and worse, a teacher asks the child to comply, child replies back, teacher replies back louder, that escalation. So by, by... not doing that by stopping and thinking what is happening with this child 
rather than responding emotionally, um, then that gives us space to, to help us, helps the teacher, but also, of course, helps the child by giving some space to think about, okay, what's happening here? Let's step back. What's happening? What's the generating this behavior? How should I respond here? And what should I do next? But one thing I, I think about, of course, is for many children, um, difficulties with behavior start early on uh, in their life. And we might want to think about early intervention for those children who um, need more, you know, um, intensive support uh, and think about how we um, help them learn the, pop, the right behaviours to have and look at some of the other needs that are generating those behaviours. And I'm talking about thinking of here about, you know, uh, preschool children. Um, children might need that extra support and intervention to help them learn how to uh, behave and how to learn how to behave appropriately. So some kids do need that early on, and that should be also be a priority, of course. That's all for this episode. To keep listening or to download any of our podcasts in our archive, just visit acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen A-C-E-R. The full transcript of this podcast and further information is available at teachermagazine.com.au That's where you'll also find the latest articles, videos and infographics for free.